0: Listening to the Pro Bono Happy Hour. I'm Rena Gleaser. Welcome back. Saturday, October 1st, is a big day for the Pro Bono Happy Hour. It's our birthday. Our podcast is turning one. So, an enthusiastic thank you to you, our listeners. We've been up and running for an entire year. It's really hard to believe. We're extremely grateful for your continued support. We'd love to hear from you. Send your comments, feedback, birthday wishes and suggestions to probono at probonoinst.org. Be warned, we might just read them on the air. And now to today's episode. Our guest is Marcia Mock of Mayor Brown. Marcia is based in Washington, DC, and we discussed her transition from being the assistant director to director of pro bono activities for the firm, innovation in pro bono, and keys to a successful law firm pro bono program We hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, Marcia. Thanks for joining us on the Pro Bono Happy Hour. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Let's jump right in. Could you tell us about your background and how you got to Mayor Brown, and then how you got to be the leader of the firm's Pro Bono program?
1: It's a bit of a roundabout story. So I really never had much of an intention of being a lawyer. Um, I ended up going to law school um, after working for a number of years for an international organization and I went to law school um, really wanting to get involved in the public interest field but not necessarily in the legal field. I ended up um largely um for financial reasons going to a law firm in new york and then moving to dc and starting at mayor brown as an associate in the litigation practice and my intention was always to sort of move into the public interest field either as a lawyer or in another capacity i did a lot of pro bono work while i was at the firm uh, my area of particular um, interest with asylum, refugee and international human rights issues which is my area of expertise and um, I actually left the firm for a little while uh, to go work for a civil liberties group and came back um, and continued to do a lot of pro bono work and in the meantime um, a position opened up as Assistant Director Pro Bono and they tapped me for it because I had been very involved in Pro Bono and also had helped with developing um, some you know, Pro Bono projects around um, the launch of the firm's uh, business plan, um, which was created in conjunction with the Pro Bono Institute. So I was the uh, assistant director of pro bono activities for 10 years, working very closely with Mark Kadish, who is the former director. And when he retired, um, they promoted me to the position of director, which I was very pleased with.
0: Hooray, and congratulations. And I love roundabout stories. They're fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, I want to take a little bit of a detour. I am guessing that you, like, we get asked this question quite a bit. And I'm curious what you tell people. I get asked all the time, um, working in in law firm pro bono and running, directing, leading a law firm pro bono program sounds like the best job ever. That's what I want to do. (laughs) How do I get a job like that? What do you tell people who think that you have the best job in the world and want to work in this space?
1: Uh, well, I actually do think I have the best job in the world, and I like to tell everyone at Mayor Brown that I do have the best job at the firm. The chairman may disagree with me, but <laughs> <laughs> I nonetheless think that I am right. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, the advice that I really have is to do what you are passionate about. Um, you know, these are frankly difficult jobs to get, and, you know, as I think my very roundabout explanation was, um, you know, it, it's hard to really position yourself for them. But my, what I have found just generally, in life generally is that if you do what you're passionate about, if you keep your eyes on the prize and you keep yourself open to opportunities, you know, this or something similar is likely to come along.
0: I say that, too, while I'm bursting their bubble, <laughs> how, how, how uh, hard it is or can be, depending on the situation. Um, tell us a little bit more about Mayor Brown in general and the firm's pro bono program. Could you provide a brief overview? Sure. So the firm's pro bono program sort of really runs the gamut of
1: individual representation of low-income Persons in matters like landlord tenants, social security, disability, domestic violence to large impact litigation cases as well as very sophisticated transactional work. In addition, um, you know, we are a global law firm. We have 21 offices and we might actually be 22 now um, throughout the world and we're 1,500 lawyers globally. And so, you know, we have a number of very strategic global initiatives that we launched a number of years ago um, in order to be more proactive. in our global pro bono work, and to be able to bring in some of our non-U.S. lawyers as well. Each office tends to be a little bit different in terms of the kind of pro bono work that they do, um, really dependent upon the interests of our lawyers, the needs of the communities that, um, that they live in, and sort of the culture of that office generally.
0: Could you give a couple just general examples of, you know, Office A does X, Office Y, Likes why? what
1: well, you know what I often say is, for example, our Washington D.C. office that does a lot of pro bono work. It is one of our best performing offices um, in the United States and globally. Um, it tends to be more of a free office. People really sort of do what they want to do. It tends to be a little bit more catch as catch can, um, as opposed to very project oriented, whereas our New York office we have a lot of very specific projects for that office and we have a lot of people who are taking similar type cases from those projects. So that's sort of what I mean by offices that really sort of, you know, although we are one law firm that sort of function in different ways based upon their cultures and the people who are in those offices.
0: We're going to talk a little bit more about culture later, but I think that's definitely An excellent issue spot that we'll we'll drill into a little later. So you mentioned that the firm is a global law firm, fifteen hundred plus lawyers, you know, up and down, probably any given day, any given (laughs) week. Any given day. Exactly. So tell us a little bit about the firm's pro bono governance structure. I mean, how do you manage fifteen hundred plus or minus lawyers around (laughs) the globe? That's a long day. Right. Right. Well
1: it it Certainly, a challenge. Um, our governance structure is very helpful in that regard. So, you know, I am the director of pro bono, as you know. We also have a uh, CSR manager in our London office who is in charge of CSR for that office, and part of that is pro bono. We also have a pro bono coordinator who works very closely with me. Um, and in addition to that, we have regional pro bono committees, so we have a U.S. pro bono committee, EU, Asia, and Brazil. Um, and each of those committees, um, you know, works very closely to sort of help us on the local level. Um, and that's actually critical because I think, as you know, a lot of pro bono is local, a lot of it really requires some boots on the ground. And so. Having committee members in each of those regions that are committed to helping us really develop our pro bono program and engaging our lawyers in each of those regions is critical. Um, we work very closely with all of them. Um, in addition, you know we have a bi-weekly call with the chairs of our global pro bono committee in order to discuss things that are going on, um, policy issues um, and you know other issues that they can be helpful with.
0: I want to just mention, for people who didn't catch it or aren't familiar, CSR stands for Corporate Social Responsibility. (laughs) So that's what we were talking about there, for anyone who's unfamiliar with the jargon. Um, Do you have any tips? People often struggle with committees and keeping members active and engaged. Do you have any just sort of quick takes on, Things that you could do to keep, whether it's a chair or a member, um, useful <laughs> and engaged, and not just sure. being a chairholder.
1: Um, yeah, you know, and I think we've all struggled with, you know, how to how to keep our committee members engaged. Um, you know, and we've frankly have, you know, restructured our committees a number of times in order to try to find the optimal. The the optimal structure um, that will be most useful to the firm in our pro bono program, I have found that the thing that seems to work the best is, one, finding people who are committed to pro bono and who are committed to getting other people involved, and also really giving the committee members specific tasks to do. Um, so that they sort of have an understanding of what their role is within the committee and sort of what the asks are rather than having them just sit on a committee and join meetings every month or every other month and not really understanding what it is that they need to do.
0: Great tips. When people have skin in the game they're more engaged. (laughs) Exactly. So let's talk a little bit more about you. What's changed since January, when you became the director of pro bono activities, how have things changed? Are you spending your time any differently than you were last September?
1: Um, You know, things have actually changed more than than I thought they would um, since I was the assistant director um, for 10 years um, before becoming the director and, you know, I already had a considerable amount of responsibilities. Yeah, you know, I would say that the two things that you know have really changed are I've been traveling a lot more. Um, I have been visiting all of our U.S. offices. I will be visiting some of our overseas offices this fall because I think it's really important to get to know our lawyers, to get to know our legal communities, um, and to really engage with them. Um, and that's something that I didn't have an opportunity to do as assistant director at least to all of our offices. Um, and the other thing that um, I have been spending more time on is really our strategic in initiatives and setting our priorities and really implementing those priorities.
0: So we talked a little bit about how you spend your time. Is there anything you wish you could be doing more of if you had unlimited time?
1: Well, I wish I had unlimited time. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Is that it? Yep. <laughs> um, you know, I, I really, I, I probably wish two things. I wish that I could have more time to really communicate with each of our lawyers, because I think that makes an enormous difference in terms of understanding what their interests are and really getting them engaged in the pro bono program. I've noticed that um, when I visit other offices, the fact that I now know a lawyer um, makes a difference in terms of getting them involved. So I wish I really had more time. To do that with 1,500 lawyers um, and just a thousand in the United States, approximately, that's a really tough thing to do. Um, you know, the other thing that I wish I had more time to do was more of my actual pro bono work. I spend the majority of my time doing management and development of the pro bono program, which I absolutely love. Um, but you know, I, I wouldn't mind having more time to just be a little bit more engaged in some individual cases.
0: I think that's a tension that a lot of people struggle with: management versus practice, because um, there's only so many hours in the day, and how can you best allocate your time and fulfill your responsibilities? What do you enjoy most about your work?
1: I so I you know not to sound too cliche, but I, I really think the thing I enjoy most about the work is the clients and the clients whose lives have been changed because of the pro bono work that we've done. Um, You know, as I've mentioned, one of my areas of expertise is asylum, and I often go to asylum hearings with the lawyers, and I still cry when the judge grants asylum from the bench or when I hear about it later. Um, And, you know, and that's really the whole purpose of our pro bono program is, you know, to help individuals. And so that's, probably the part of the job that I really enjoy the most. Certainly seeing the satisfaction of our lawyers in the work that they do, um, in particular those lawyers who perhaps previously were not involved in pro bono, and then get to see how meaningful it is. Um, you know, that, that
0: is really truly gratifying. You know, cliches are cliches for a reason. It's because they're true. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we have to feel bad about it, and that's at the heart of what pro bono is all about so it's it's really fantastic changing gears a little bit mayor brown and caterpillar that's the construction equipment manufacturer caterpillar Mm -hmm. that you all know Mm -hmm. and are familiar with were recently named as 2016 pro bono innovators for something called the forced marriage project could you tell us about this how it was conceived and created and what it accomplished
1: so Caterpillar, which is a, a, a corporate client of Mayor Brown, um, you know, we had worked with them on previous pro bono projects. They were very interested in getting involved in a pro bono matter that would be a little bit more in-depth, that would have some global impact, um, and where we could really make a difference. And so we spent a good bit of time exploring different options um, because Caterpillar also, like Mayor Brown, is a global um, global organization with lawyers all over the world. And we ended up speaking with the Tahare Justice Center, which, as you know, is an organization that helps immigrant victims of of violence, immigrant women and girls who have been subjected to violence, um, and they were in the process of working on this forced marriage um, initiative, and which specifically um, is meant to help um, women and girls in the United States who are being subjected to forced marriage. And many of them, many of these immigrant women and girls, they are either being subjected to forced marriage in the United States or they are being tricked going back to their home countries um, in order to marry someone not of their choosing. And so, uh, you know, we worked with them in crafting um, this project, which basically paired Mayor Brown lawyers with Caterpillar lawyers looking at the laws and the policies and practices in various countries around the issue of marriage, um, forced marriage, and other issues around domestic relations. And um, we took that information, we wrote reports on it. And Tahereh used that to create an interactive map that advocates and victims could go on in order to get a better understanding of what the situation was on the ground and their rights, um, you know, in those countries. And, you know, it um, was a very successful project. In fact, we are actually now working on phase two of that project, um, uh, doing some research on some additional countries in order to fill out that interactive map.
0: I love this project. It represents so many themes that we've talked about often on this podcast and that PBI is so involved. If you addressed a critical legal need, right? A real need in the world. Um, you were thinking global and you broadened the resources by involving in-house lawyers. So, so much great stuff going on in just represented by that one amazing project. So I think it's it's super inspiring and really something that we can all learn from as a fantastic innovator. <laughs> the the award, the term is, is fully uh, accurate um, for the project. So while we're talking about awards, I had seen, um, when I was preparing, I think this was earlier in this summer, um, about um, firm awards and how you use them maybe to motivate and honor pro bono participation at the firm. And that the trigger was seeing that in 2016, the Palo Alto office was named the Pro Bono Office of the Year. So what does that mean, and how do you use recognition to help honor and, and motivate?
1: Sure, so every year we have an annual Pro Bono Awards program. Um, It is uh, hosted by the chairman of the firm, uh, Paul Tice. And by previous chairmen as well, um, and it's done by video conference um, to all of our office who, offices who participate live, um, except for Asia because we can't do it because of the time difference. <laughs> um, and you know what we do is we honor sort of those offices, those projects, those lawyers that have really gone above and beyond in the previous year because we want to recognize them and we want to recognize their achievement. So. We have categories such as Office of the Year, uh, projects and matters of the year, lawyers of the year, um, and you know I think it, it's really a way for people who have really like shown and shined in the pro bono program to be recognized, which is very important. A lot of our lawyers are really, um, you know, they are spending many hours taking away from their personal life you know, in order to work on pro bono matters, but. In addition to those lawyers who go above and beyond, you know, we also just we honor those lawyers who have met our pro bono goal. Um, so we have a pro bono goal um, of 60 hours per lawyer, and we make sure that all of those lawyers are honored. Their name scroll um, during the awards program because we we want to we want to recognize everyone who has really participated in the pro bono program. And I think that makes a difference. I think people really in like to be recognized for their pro bono work and and for the efforts that they have put in for the firm's pro bono program.
0: We like recognition in life, so it makes sense in in pro bono, but I think it's particularly important, especially in um, competitive and uncertain and pressured business cycles, because people are busy right and they have a lot of business pressures and to know that pro bono matters and is visible and above board and it's not hidden or second class status um or all of that i think becomes really important um during economic cycles just the functions of law firms the the business cycles the day-to-day so shining a light really does make a difference
1: I think that that's correct. And I mean, I, I also think even outside of that, I think for for the lawyers and the staff to, to see that the firm really values this work so much that it honors this work really makes a difference. And I think it leads for more people to get involved.
0: I, th- I think that's great. I think it's more people getting involved and probably oftentimes more people getting involved in a bigger way because they see that they can take a big commitment, they can work on a big ambitious project, and you and the firm will will support them. Yeah, I think that that's that's correct. Um, I wanted to pivot to talk about an article from last December where you offered three keys to successful law firm pro bono. And I was hoping we could look at each key element and just get your current quick take. And the first one we actually hinted at earlier, and that is understanding the culture of your law firm and knowing how the firm functions. How is that critical to making pro bono work?
1: Um, Well, you're right. We did touch on this a little bit. And I think the culture of the firm and to a certain degree, the culture of of each particular office is really important to having a successful pro bono program. And, you know, and I think that's because you can't really impose um, structures on people that, you know, that that they're not used to or they're not going to accept, especially when you're talking about pro bono. Um, So, you know, I often use as an example, um, when I was a very new assistant director of Pro Bono, I had this great idea to start this office project um, in a particular office around a particular issue, and, you know, I just didn't know the office well enough, and, you know, the... You know the project just really didn't take off because that's just not how that office worked. And you know they say if you if you've never failed you've never tried. So I go with that. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, but you know I've you know I've I've since learned that you really sort of have to get to know. Um, the lawyers and the culture in that office in order to figure out what is going to work pro bono-wise. And that's one of the things that I've been trying to do in visiting all of our offices. I sort of call it my listening tour. In order to sort of, you know, figure out, you know, how it is I can really get people engaged in a way that they're comfortable
0: with. It's really important. One of my sort of classic examples of culture actually is about awards. You know, there are some firms that motivate pro bono participation through competitions they'll pit office against office partners against associates alumni of some law schools against others and it works for them at other firms uh, oh, it would just be a gag i mean they're not a competitive type of place and the chest thumping it just would fall with a thud, <laughs> you know, you just so you have to go with what works with your institution, your people, and then drill down office, country, region, you know, and really honor um, values and individuality and, 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 and things like that to make it work. So those are great points. So let's talk about your second key, which is knowing what lawyers' interests are and where their talents lie.
1: So, so yeah. So I think that you know we talk a lot in the pro bono community about you know how to get lawyers more engaged in pro bono, and you know one of the things that I have certainly seen um, in my career um, in the pro bono department. Is that lawyers really want to do stuff that they're passionate about? Um, You know, at the end of the day, they're all incredibly busy. Um, A lot of the pro bono work that they're doing, um, except perhaps during a recession, (laughs) is pretty much above and beyond their client chargeable work. And so, you know, we want them to be, at the end of the day, when they have to turn to their pro bono matter, we want them to be really excited about that. And so, understanding really what their interests are, what their passions are. Um, is important in order to, you know, get them engaged. Um, You know, lawyers want to feel good about what they're doing. And so I think that's really just critical to having a successful pro bono program. And with respect to the issue of talents, you know, another thing that I've realized is if people really aren't comfortable with the kind of work they're doing, they're not going to be that happy doing it. So understanding where their comfort zone is, uh... Um, you know where their skill set is and where they're willing to go i think is also critical in terms of not just getting people engaged in the pro bono program initially which sometimes can be easy but with keeping them engaged because the first matter they did was something that they just felt really great about
0: i think these points reflect one of the great challenges of running a law firm pro bono program and that is you have to constantly stay at it, right? You can't just say, oh, I've gotten it down what my lawyer's interests are, and our pro bono docket matches that, because next year you'll have a bunch of new lawyers, and and you gotta figure out what their interests are, and our interests change over time. Um, So it's constant motion and movement, and it can't be static, and that's slightly exhausting, (laughs) but it also makes for a living, breathing program.
1: It actually, I, it, you're you're absolutely right. and um, but it also makes for a very interesting program, and it makes my job even more interesting. And I think certainly one of the phenomena that we see in the law firm world is the movement of lawyers between firms um, and a lot of lateral hires. And it, you know, and they actually can bring in a different culture and a different energy with them. And as a result, You know, we do work in some of our offices that we weren't doing a couple of years ago. And that's, you know, at least in part because of, you know, different interests and different projects and different energies that these lateral lawyers have brought with them.
0: Yeah, and new talents when new practice groups come to the firm, new backgrounds, new offices, new geographic areas. So um, the evolving brings challenges, but it brings new opportunities as well, for sure. So let's look at your last key, get another quick take, and that is being connected to legal services providers in the community so you have an understanding of where to focus pro bono efforts and can match your lawyer's strengths with the needs that legal services providers identify.
1: You know, I think at the end of the day, the reason why law firms have pro bono programs is to help legal services providers Meet the unmet needs in those communities, and so um, you know that's you know that seems like a, a, a pretty obvious thing, but it could it can sometimes be difficult to actually sort of bridge the gap between our lawyers' interests and the legal services providers um, and the community's needs. Um, and so having an understanding of like what those are and really trying to find the sweet spot of where you can meet those is again um, not to overuse the word critical but i think it really is critical because at the end of the day you know that's why we're doing what we're doing so that you know we can make sure that the gaps in access to justice are filled at least a little bit
0: this is a great big red flag point how many times have we heard about People who had an awesome idea for a pro bono project, and they spend a lot of time setting it up and getting it ready, and it's going to be fantastic. And then there are no clients, and then there's no work because they hadn't really talked to the legal services providers, the people with boots on the ground, to really upfront figure out what the community legal needs are. They were sort of working backwards, and the whole thing didn't work. So I think it's a great reminder always to focus and work with our legal services providers, know what the community needs are, and be sure to keep that in mind as we work to solve the access to justice crisis, for sure.
1: I think that's exactly right. And the other thing that you know I think is helpful in this regard is you know understanding from the legal services providers what the community needs are, but also working with the legal services providers to craft a project to meet those needs that really works with the law firm community, um, which can be a challenge sometimes. Um, but you know I think that's very important.
0: Communication is key, and and sometimes it is true that the law firm can plant the seeds. Not every project that starts not organically from the legal services group isn't going to work. Often there are groups that just don't have the capacity to even think about what they need or what people could be doing. Um, It just requires smart and sustained effort. Um, to, to make them work. There are a lot of pointers and tips that we could go into in making a successful pro bono project, but it's a great idea to keep in mind. It's actually a great article. So if people want to look it up, it was published in December by BizNow DC, and you can find it on their website, biznow.com, which is B-I-S-N-O-W.com. com. Um, read more tips, they were great. Um, Could you share a goal or two, either short-term or long-term, that you have for the pro bono program? Anything on the horizon?
1: Certainly, Um, well, one of our major goals, um, and this is both short-term and long-term, is really to increase our participation of our lawyers. Uh, We launched an initiative this year to get as many of our lawyers doing at least 20 hours of pro bono. Um, and you know this is really targeted at, at, at those lawyers who previously hadn't been participating in the pro bono program. Um, I like to see it a little bit as a gateway drug. Um, you know once someone has done a little bit of pro bono they're going to realize really how meaningful um, it is and hopefully do more. but we really want to broaden our pro bono program we want to make it more impactful and we want to get as many people involved as possible so, that has really been a major initiative of ours, um, you know, as I said, both sort of in the short term but also in the long term.
0: Well, we'll talk to you in nine months or a year and see how it's going. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. Um, no pressure. <laughs> so, so, you shared some meaningful stories when you're with a client or supervising another attorney and the client gets asylum. Could you share one or two examples of other pro bono matters that have been particularly meaningful to you that you either worked on directly or were a part of because they were firm pro bono work that, that you found particularly meaningful?
1: Uh, sure. Uh, you know, there's so many that, you know, it's really kind
0: of... It's hard. Um, it's like know, picking among really your children. Yeah. Who do you love the most? But. <laughs> right.
1: Exactly. Exactly. I love all my children the same. <laughs> um, but, um, but, you know, I, it, it, is very, it is very difficult um, to choose because, you know, we've done a lot of work that, you know, has just really been, you know, incredible and really meaningful and has changed people's lives yeah, you know, I would probably say the the one that sort of sticks with me the most um, is the project that we started now about eight years ago um with the List project to resettle Iraqi allies to help Iraqis who had worked for the u s. government and who were targeted by insurgents to resettle in the United States. Uh, it's actually a project that I started that I brought in, um and we've had over a hundred lawyers and all of our U.S. offices, as well as our offices in Brussels, and I love to say this, Ho Chi Minh City, <laughs> um, participate in the project. Um, you know, we've helped over 150 clients and their families. Um, you know, the, the cases are, they're long and they're frustrating, um, but you know, they've been very meaningful and it's been a really meaningful project, um, both for me um, as well as for the firm. So that's probably the one that I would point to.
0: And for people who want to lo- learn more, there's a lot online about the LIST project. There's a documentary. Um, th- there's a lot available if you'd like to learn more about this just amazing work that people have done.
1: There is. Um, you know, the the founder of the LIST project, Kirk Johnson, is a really amazing person. Um, and um, you know he started the organization at a very young age, and it it has done really incredible work. And you know we're really proud of that affiliation.
0: Super inspiring. Um. So, Marcia, who's your pro bono role model, and why? <laughs>
1: uh, well, that's also another very tough question. Uh, you know, I would have to say that uh, you know the pro bono community is really fantastic and I've learned so much from them. And one of the great things is how collaborative it is and how much we share with each other, best practices, ideas, failures, everything else. So, um, you know, it is really difficult to say, you know, who is my pro bono role model. I would actually point more to a group of people and that's not necessarily the pro bono people, it's the legal services. Lawyers, you know, I think they're really in the trenches. They work these really long hours for not very good pay. I find them to be just incredibly inspiring, in particular in the way they support us in our pro bono program, and are so enthusiastic in working with us. Um, so I really look at them and I, with amazement um, at what they do day in and day out. Um, and to me, they are really my role models.
0: Often the unsung heroes and without them, there really wouldn't be any law firm pro bono. We, we couldn't do any of our work um, without them. Critical. Yeah, that, that is exactly right. So let's end with this. If, if you had a magic wand, what one thing would you change about access to justice?
1: Wow. Well, that is a very, very tough question because there are so many issues right now that need to be addressed. Obviously, one that is in the news a lot is the issue of racial justice. I think that the fact that has come more into focus in the past year or two is incredibly important. I also think that the issue of housing and providing individuals who are facing eviction with legal representation would go a long way towards addressing one of the major issues in the access to justice gap. You know, I recently heard someone say that poverty doesn't create homelessness, homelessness creates poverty, and that rang incredibly true to me. Eviction and potential homelessness lead to so much instability, making it difficult for individuals to find or maintain jobs, for children to do well in school and the like. Providing legal representation to individuals in housing court would help to prevent unwarranted eviction and its very negative consequences. And so, you know, while there are so many issues surrounding the gap and access to justice, if I had to pick one at which to wave my magic wand, I think that would probably be it.
0: Well, Marcia, thank you so much for talking with me today. It was a pleasure and incredibly inspiring.
1: No, thank you. Um, I really appreciate your taking the time.
0: Thanks for listening. And a special thank you to Marcia for her time and sharing her expertise with us. And a big thank you on our birthday to the members of our podcast team who have worked so hard on this over the course of the last year. Many thanks to Producer Dave, Eva, Yvette, Elise, Tammy, and Joe. Additional episodes of the Pro Bono Happy Hour can be found on iTunes and YouTube. Be sure to subscribe if you haven't already. And take a moment to leave an iTunes comment or a review. It's quick and easy to do. We'd appreciate the feedback, and it would help make it easier for other listeners to find the program and expand the conversation about pro bono and access to justice. To learn more about the Pro Bono Institute, visit our website at probonoinst.org. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time on the Pro Bono Happy Hour.